0: Well good morning everyone. Welcome to Genesis. Uh, good to spend the morning with you. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor here. And man, if you've been coming around our church for a while, you saw the lobby updates again coming in today. It's so exciting to see all the work out there and that space and uh, so nice and so inviting. We're just so thankful to be able to use that. And uh, it's an important part of what we do. You know, I, I think back a long time ago when this room was really filling up on Sunday, somebody came up with an idea one time, oh, we ought to just move the back wall back uh, and we can just have some more auditorium space. But thankfully, sp- somebody spoke up and said, no, like that That space is so important to what we do. Like it, it's a big part of our ministry as a church and the relationships that are formed out there. And so we're just real excited about how the Lord's going to use that space in the coming years and our time here and with your friends and the people that you're getting to know and the relationships that are being built. We've got some fun elements still coming. I mean, most most of the big things are done now, but some signage we're waiting on, a, a few other things that are happening. We're getting a mechanical bull out there for the lobby, right? We've, we're not. I'm just kidding. But like, you know, what other church is doing that? You know, like we got to do something different, right? But we're not. we're not doing that. But anyways... Acts chapter 18, if you've got a Bible with you today in the New Testament, Acts chapter 18, we've been studying through the book of Acts together this year as you're turning there. I wonder how many of you have uh, heard or know the name Oliver Anthony. All right, maybe maybe some of you, if you don't, you're not alone. I didn't know it till this past week because no one really did. No one really knew of him uh, before August the 8th, the day he uploaded his song, Richmond, North of Richmond, uh, to YouTube. And within a few days, celebrity influencers, people like Joe Rogan, started tweeting about him. Within a week, his unknown song, uh, writer, went to, became wildly popular, debuting at number one on Billboard's uh, Country Chart even beating out songs uh, from people like Morgan Wallen, Luke Combs, and Taylor Swift. Not bad for a nobody, right? Uh, As of this week, his hit song has something like almost 60 million hits on Spotify. And for those of you that are curious enough to pull it up on the way home today and listen into the car, let me just be clear that it has some very choice words and some very questionable content. And so I'm not endorsing it. So don't go around telling people that, oh, your pastor loves Oliver. Anthony and we're singing his music in church or something because we're not doing that. But here's what I like. I I I think his story is so intriguing. Uh, he, he dropped out of high school in 2010 at the age of 17, which I don't recommend. Uh, he later went back to pursue his GED. After that, he worked multiple factory jobs where he worked the third shift six hours a day, making 14 bucks an hour. But in 2013, he fell at work, fractured his skull, and was forced to move back home to Virginia and was unable to work for six months. He's lived a tough life. He uh, He's had to overcome some hard things, but his life's changing. It's changing quickly, and in light of all of his recent fame Anthony admits that he never wanted to be in the spotlight to begin with he writes music as a way of coping with his own uh, mental and physical challenges and apparently millions of fans can relate to the honesty of his music too which is why it has become so wildly popular here's what i think I, I think it's easy for us to hear a story of somebody like his and, and just smile, because let's be honest, like, uh, don't we love the underdog, right? I mean, we love the the stories of the nobodies who end up becoming somebody in their life, and when you think about it, that's a big part of the storyline uh, in the book of Acts. Again, Acts chapter 18 today, if you're new with us, uh, we've been reading through the book of Acts this year, studying it. Acts is a history book. It opens with the uh, ascension of Jesus into heaven in Acts chapter 1, and then the next 28 chapters chapters cite a number of stories and events that contributed to the spread of the good news of Jesus around the world and what propelled that spread what was behind it well more than anything it was the power of the holy spirit working through and in and around and even in spite of people but god used people too i mean the book of acts is occasion after occasion instance after instance of ordinary men and women and students and kids who were boldly and faithfully living for jesus and i don't know if you've noticed some of those names. If you've been reading along with us in Acts, sure, there are people like Peter and Paul and John, and if you've been around church, if you've been around the Bible, those names are really familiar to us, but as someone asked me this past week, you know, at the end of Acts chapter 17, if you caught this, what about people like Dionysius and Damaris who came to the Lord? How about Lydia? You know, who are these random nobodies and why are their names recorded in the book of Acts? Well, I think there are at least two things to consider when you see names like this in a history historical writing. First, the inclusion of these names brought reliability to the historical writings. And Luke, many believe Luke is the writer of Acts. And so the way he uses and presents names would be considered both intentional and very credible. But secondly, I think the use of names is a reminder that God loves to work through ordinary people. And he did it in the book of Acts, and he's still doing it today. And that's the message that I believe that God has for us this morning That it doesn't matter who you are. All right. It doesn't matter how young or how old you may be, male or female. God loves using people. He loves using people like you and me to help others find their way back to Him. And so today we're going to meet a handful of ordinary nobodies, if you would people who had come to faith in Jesus, were willing to use the everyday circumstances of their lives. to help others know Christ too. And so, quick review to catch us up. How did we get to Acts chapter 18? What's been going on these last few chapters? Well, again for the last couple of weeks we've been following Paul on what is commonly referred to as his second missionary journey. And as you can see here, this would be a really long car ride, all right? If you were going to take it, but they they used their feet, all right? This was steps before steps were even cool, all right? And so Paul and his team traveled from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea, down to Athens, as we read about last week, and along the way, in every city, there were people who came to know the Lord, there were churches that were started, but there's also been these occasions along the way where Paul is beaten, where he is jailed, he's thrown into jail and eventually run out of town, and that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 18, verse Verse 1, we read this. Luke records that after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Now, Corinth is located in what we know as modern-day Greece, 50 miles to the west of Athens. And at the time of Paul's arrival, it was the largest city in Greece with a population of roughly 650,000 and was known for being this flourishing center of political power and commerce. And in comparing Athens to Corinth, Tim Keller has said that Athens is a lot like Boston in that it was more known for its uh, intellectual or uh, as an intellectual center, Corinth, think New York City, a port city uh, and commercial center attracting visitors from all around the world. And just like Athens, Corinth had a reputation of its own. And as with most major cities, especially port cities, Corinth was known for its sexual immorality and promiscuity. According to one source, the phrase to live like a Corinthian was synonymous with living a life filled with debauchery and immorality morality and this is the city Paul finds himself in this is where he believed the lord has led him to serve and god's going to establish a church there and this church and these followers of jesus are going to help bring light to the community but thankfully paul's not in the city alone thankfully There's a couple of ordinary nobodies that we're going to meet. Let's meet a couple of them beginning in verse 2. We read, There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, who was the Roman emperor at the time, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And so meet Aquila, And his wife Priscilla. And Luke provides some important details about their lives. We know that they had been run out of Rome because of their faith, escaping to Corinth. And so, in essence, you could say they were refugees. And if we can stop for just a moment and appreciate the circumstances by which God is going to use them, these two refugees. They, they probably had lost everything they had ever known when they were run out of the city of Rome, and now they're new residents in a foreign place. Their lives were turned upside down, but God is going to use them. He's got them in Corinth at just the right time to join and to partner with Paul in his work. Only God, only God could take a time of uncertainty an inconvenience and bring something good from it can i just encourage you with something this morning if this is true in your life especially if your life got flipped upside down this past week by whatever maybe some unexpected change was thrown at you some very bad news maybe you feel like you are trapped right now in a dead end of your own i'm telling you god can use it Uh, God uses dead ends. He can use the dead ends of our life. He can use our rejections. He can use our loss. He can use our relocations and changes, and He can work through people and circumstances. People that are ready and willing to be used by him. God's going to use these two in extraordinary ways. Two refugees who were also blue-collared workers. They're tent makers, but I know that God had them in just the right place at just the right time because it's no coincidence that Paul knew tent making too. I mean, imagine how badly they needed each other. The community of just being in relationships with one another, but also how God was going to use their shared skills to also provide for their financial needs, especially Paul, because he's not in quarantine. To make tents, all right. That's not his primary responsibility. That's just paying the bills. Because in Acts eighteen verse four, it says that every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, just like he did in Philippi, in Thessalonica, and Berea, and Athens. He began a lot of his missionary work when he went into these new communities by visiting the synagogue. And notice that he's not arguing or debating with the Jews, but the word used here is the word persuade. And as we discovered last week, Paul wasn't trying to just cut a deal with people. He wasn't out trying to meet a monthly quota. He was motivated by Jesus. He was motivated by his intense love for Jesus. He was burdened by the loss and the despair that he saw in people's eyes. And so his his passion fueled him. It was his love for Jesus Christ that, that fueled him in his decisions. It's a passion that's going to rub off on people like Aquila and Priscilla, but not only them because it's a passion that also got into two other nobodies, two guys by the name of Silas and Timothy. Look at verse 5. It says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, If you've been following along in Acts with us, you've probably seen their names already, Silas and Timothy. They're sort of like interns, okay? Two young men that Paul was training, spending time with, giving them opportunities, building into, and now we find them regrouping with Paul once again in Corinth. And here's why this is significant for us. What we see here is another example of this early church modeling the importance of disciple-making. We've talked about this at Genesis before. We think that disciple-making is the very best way to help people find their way back to God. Disciple-making in its very basic form is just the process of one person investing their life into the life of someone else. It's things like friendship, which we talked about last week. It's sharing life and relationship with one another. It's learning to follow Jesus together it means I'm not going to do my life alone we're going to do life with others we're going to do life alongside of other people helping people along the way it's kind of like this my daughter is learning how to drive And she's really, really good at it. She's a good driver. And moms and dads, if you remember teaching your kids how to drive, it can be an interesting experience, right? I've done it with two boys, already now doing it with my daughter. I've had to tell my daughter, hey, Kate, once in a while, I might reach over and grab the steering wheel. That doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It's more for dad than it is for you, right? Because just once in a while, it's just helpful to have your hand on the wheel, okay? Because part of teaching our kids to drive is right, helping them find themselves in situations and circumstances that you don't learn from a video or learn from a book, and you've got to make decisions of what you're going to do in any given moment. Disciple making is a lot like that. It's doing life with people. It's going through everyday normal circumstances with with people, and it's learning and growing and figuring out things together. Paul was a disciple maker, and he was a disciple maker because Jesus was a disciple maker. And so he went, much like like Jesus traveling from town to town sharing the message and the gospel and starting churches, but just like Jesus, he's bringing up leaders. He's raising up people along the way so that they can learn to do what he does and then pass it on to someone else on another day. And that's what Paul's doing with Silas and Timothy. He's investing in them. He's discipling them so that the work will continue even when he's gone. But he's also committed to doing the work of preaching and investing in people far from God. And sometimes that went well and other times it didn't. Look at verse 6. It says, When they opposed Paul and became abusive... He shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. And from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, just to be clear, when Paul says, Your blood be on your own heads, it's not like he's saying, You're dead to me, you know, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I I think part of what we see here is just Paul's way of saying, hey, I've tried my best to reach for you. I, I am I am praying for you, I am giving my all for you. But because of your continual rejection, I am now moving on to people that are willing to listen. And so his response is more about his passion behind his work. It's more of an indication of the urgency and concern that he has for people who are not responding to the message, at least favorably to the message of Jesus. Now, I wouldn't suggest that you use a line like that, right, with any of your friends. You know, you're dead to me or your blood be on your own heads. That's not the point, but I think it is a good reminder especially as you and I do life with people. We talked about friendship last week, you know, that there are going to be people who continuously push back on faith and some that reject it all together. And again, it's important. Patience is important, all right? Uh, transformation takes time. But I think we also need to remember that not everyone is going to respond positively to the gospel of message of Jesus. And so there are going to be some moments in your life And in your friendships, when you might have to move on, choosing to invest your time and efforts in someone else. Now, I would suggest approaching those moments slowly and through prayer, and maybe even through accountability with others. But just because someone isn't responding in one place doesn't mean others won't respond positively somewhere else because ultimately it's up to Jesus, right? We're faithful. We do the obedient work. It's the Holy Spirit that's changing hearts and minds. Only Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. Verse 7. It says, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household, believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So we get two more nobodies here, and then a reference to a bunch of people that I bet Luke would have loved to record their names. Uh, Titius Justice, he worshipped God. As we read here, meaning he's likely a Jew who put his faith in Jesus. And then that must have influenced Crispus, the synagogue leader. His change is huge because Paul will later record how he got to baptize Crispus. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as it says, not only did he believe, but many of his family members and others believed around him. And I don't know about you, but when I read stuff like this, I just can't help but wonder, what did it cost to them? Like right here in this city, in these circumstances, like what did these men and the people that followed them and chose to follow Jesus, what did they give up? What was the personal price they paid for turning to Jesus? Missionaries around the world will tell stories, especially those that serve in highly volatile places. They'll tell stories of new conversions to the faith and how people, individuals, will show up to their baptism with something like a bag or a suitcase in their hands. And when you ask them, you know, why did you bring something like that? The reality is they've paid a steep price. They know by pledging their faith to Jesus and getting baptized that they're not going home that they will be completely rejected by their family. But it's a price that they're willing to pay. I'm reminded of my friend's David and Carrie Hartman and their kids, we uh, support them financially through Genesis. They uh, work and serve in Central Asia. Someone asked Carrie one time, why in the world do you do it? Why would you risk the lives, your own lives and the lives of your kids to serve in such a vulnerable part of the world? And I'll never forget Carrie's reply. She said, Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Aquila and Priscilla believed it, you know, as did Silas and Timothy, Titius and Crispus. Paul believed it. Is it worth it to you? Is it worth it to, to you and me? Like, what price are you willing to pay for your faith And for the possibility that others may come to know the Lord. And while we're talking about these nobodies, I know it's easy to put the Apostle Paul into a different category. Like he's some kind of superhero or something. But he's normal, more ordinary than we realize as is evidenced in these next words. Because you would think that Paul would be feeling really good right now. He's got momentum and they're encouraged. But look at verse 9. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. Now, depending on which version of the Bible that you're reading, the words enclosed in quotations here may or may not be written in red, but they're especially significant as many scholars believe that it's Jesus speaking to Paul. And what does he say? Don't be afraid, And do you know why Jesus told Paul not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. Like he had fear. And and we might wonder, like, why in the world is he afraid? Like he's the hero of the book of Acts. Like what could he possibly be afraid of? But I love that this is included here because it reminds us that Paul's not much different than any one of us. He was afraid too. He lost faith. He got discouraged. He went through some really high highs with the Lord, but also some really low lows. And, and I don't know about you, but I can be like that. I can be really confident one day and then be very discouraged the next day. I can be really motivated and courageous one week and then struggling and terrified the next because life sometimes is just too much, isn't it? And it just all comes rushing at you, and it's all of the uncertainty, and it's all of the questions. Paul was afraid. I mean, come on. He's already been beaten and rejected on multiple occasions. That There's a good chance he's afraid of then what's, what's coming or that it will come again. He's afraid of losing his life and and just like the rest of us, I think it's the anticipation too because sometimes the anticipation is the worst part. I, I don't know about how you see it, but it's the worry about things that haven't even happened. It, it's the things that I can conjure up in my mind that could possibly come true and maybe that's true of Paul and, and maybe that's true of you as well. And, and so let me just say that if you find yourself overwhelmed by anything right now, There's fear and anticipation in your life uh, uh, of what's coming tomorrow or the week ahead of you. Maybe you've got an appointment coming up. Maybe there's a meeting, a a conversation that needs to take place, a really big decision that's before you. Let these words of Jesus, these words that encourage Paul, let them encourage you to, again, verse 9, when Jesus says, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Jesus reminds Paul, this ordinary guy sold out to Jesus, about his power and his presence. And that reminder and those promises were exactly what Paul needed because verse 11 says that he stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them The word of God. It was because of his faith in Jesus and his willingness to cling to the promises of God that Paul was able to overcome his fears and actually put down roots in this city of Corinth before eventually moving on to start all over again in the city of Ephesus, which we'll talk about next Sunday. But the thing is this, that same power and presence that was available to Paul is available to us too. And that's the wonderful thing about faith and life and relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, the wonderful thing about trusting your life to the Lord is all of the eternal promises that come with it. And His work in our life today, His forgiveness and His redemption. But trusting Jesus and walking with the Lord and leaning and depending on the Holy Spirit is about receiving the gift of His power in your life but also the reminder that his presence goes with us each day too. I don't know what you're waiting for. you know. Some of you here today, like that, that this, this reminder that Jesus' power and presence is available to you. It's available to you tomorrow as you go to school. It's available to you as you go to work. It's available to you in your loneliness, in your relationships, in your circumstances, whatever they may be. Whatever it is, don't be afraid. Keep trusting the Lord. Put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for you and for me, and keep on living for him because he is for you and he is with us, all of us, ordinary nobodies, just like these men and women we see in Acts and Now, once again, we've only made it through a portion of the chapter, which means you're on your own for the rest of chapter 18, all right? You got homework, all right, this week. And, in fact, you can get started on next week's chapter 19 as well. But I'd like to encourage you, you know, to to keep on reading, to keep on studying. But what what this book of Acts, this chapter, these people and these names remind us is that God has a plan to make disciples and to reach this community, to reach the world, and this plan involves ordinary nobodies like you and me, churches like Genesis, all right, kids and students, whether you're working or retired, whether you're married or single, whether you're young or old, like God wants to use each of us, all right, to help others know him. And what does that require? Well, last week I gave you a word, all right, we talked about this word friendship and how friendship is a key when it comes to building relationships with people who are far from God. I got another word for you this week. I'm not going to do it every week, all right, but we're going to do it two weeks in a row, all right, where we we, we come down to this this word and the word for today is just this to the question of who does god use who can he use and what's he looking for from each of us that word today is just our willingness that god is looking for willing available people he loves to use humble ordinary faithful people, students who will say, I'm willing. Uh, Men and women who are willing to say, you know what, I'm willing. Moms and dads who say, we are willing. He will use a church that, that will pray, like we are willing. Aquila and Priscilla were willing Their life was caving in. But somehow in the midst of it, they prayed God were willing. And so they opened their home. They shared their lives. They were generous with their resources and provided a sense of community for Paul. And because they were willing, Paul's gonna take them with him on his way to Ephesus. And later on, Paul's gonna write a letter back to the church in Corinth. We know it as 1 Corinthians. Paul's gonna mention Aquila and Priscilla by name as they're leading a house church in their home. In fact, they get mentioned in three of Paul's letters in the New Testament. And then Aquila, and Priscilla are going to turn around and invest their lives into a guy named Apollos. You can read about him in Acts chapter 18. They taught him from the Bible. They encouraged him and then they sent him out to tell others about Jesus. We have no idea how long this took because it's easy for us to read one verse to the next verse and think that that just happened instantaneously but it could have taken months or even longer. It was a relationship that took time All right, and those results again may have taken months to accomplish but the the work took time. It took some effort It took some prayer, but what was the difference? They were willing. See, God can use willing people. He loves to use humble, faithful, willing people. He loves to use ordinary nobodies, people that are willing and available to Him. And as I mentioned, Paul's going to write not just one, but at least two letters back to the church at Corinth. We know them as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And as I was up reading one early morning this week, thinking about this message, God highlighted three verses for me, for us, that I want to end with. They come out of 2 Corinthians. Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. I think this gets to the heart of what we're studying today. Paul writes this back to the church there. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal, procession. Paul's using military language here. Picture a general leading his soldiers in a victory formation in the same way we as followers of Jesus, we know that the ultimate battle has been won. And so we live and we serve from a place of victory because of the victory that is ours through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He continues that God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. I don't know about you, but I think that's an awesome picture. That as sacrifices were offered up in the temple as this pleasing gift to God, your willingness and mine, our obedience and our efforts are like this pleasing sacrifice and aroma to God, which is just a reminder that when you serve, and care for people like your neighbors. You know, moms, uh, when you're able to sacrifice and stay home to be with your kids, you know, Uh, moms and dads, maybe not able to do something like that, but you're sacrificing in other ways to be able to invest in your children. Students, when you go out of your way to include somebody else in your circle, someone who doesn't fit in anywhere, like when you take the time to listen to others, when you give more than you keep, when you serve and invest in our kids and gen kids and in GSM, like when you make a meal for someone else and you wonder to yourself, do these small acts, do they even matter You may think nobody notices, but I can promise you that he does, that God is watching and that he is ready and willing to use those that are willing to be used by him. Paul continues verse 16, to the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? It's just a reminder that we don't serve and love for the sake of what it accomplishes for us. We do it for the one who gave his life on our behalf. And we do it so that others might find their way back to him. Verse 17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Ultimately, we serve because we have been sent by God and that's why we're here it's our turn Genesis we're on the clock sent by God into this world and into this community are you willing we're going to end today with a prayer that we've been praying we talked about this prayer last week Uh, it's a daily prayer it's a dangerous prayer Uh, It's a personal prayer. We want it to be a personal prayer. It's not just something I pray from stage. It's something that we pray individually. But it just, Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. I want you to do for others what you've done for me. Two words get highlighted today. Use me. We talked about filling in that blank last week with a person, somebody that we know. Those who are willing will pray, God, use me. And so I'm going to give you just a few moments on your own to pray however you feel led this morning, to tell God, God, you can use me. I'm available. I'm willing to be used by you. You pray, and then I'll pray. And then we're going to close by singing together. Hear our prayers this morning, Lord. We We are ready. We are here. We are ready to be used by you as your servants, as your kingdom workers in this world. And I pray that our love would be motivated by Jesus, that, um, that our love for you would be reflected in our actions and our friendships and our words and all that we do. Help us to see our circumstances today, the opportunities you've given us, the people that you've put in our lives as just one more way to serve you in this world. We are willing. We pray that today, Lord, we are willing and ready to be used by you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.